Gaming on the Frontier. This is Bruce. This is Trav. This is Jonathan. And I guess I'm welcoming everyone to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Your choice for when you have a really good idea and it's someone else's, but you just got to use it anyway. Plagiarism is such an ugly word. (laughs) Filing off those serial numbers. Exactly. As long as you don't publish it, it's perfectly safe for your own home use. Jonathan, what, what is this about? Why don't we discuss some of the... Pop culture, books, movies, TV shows that we have found ourselves using in some form or another in our campaigns. Um, especially considering that the two main uh, games that I've played, Bureau 13 and Fringeworthy, are both ripe for that anything that is possible can happen. Oh, yeah. Because with, you know, with Bureau 13, you've got that any story is true. And with Fringeworthy, if it's out there, there's probably an alternate reality based on it there's a million million worlds out there so one of them could be whatever it is that you're thinking about so i thought let's talk about some of the ideas that we've found so irresistible whether it be again books movies tv that we had to incorporate them in our our games in some way whether it be a direct ripoff i know i've got a few on my list here that were pretty blatantly directly ripped off from tv shows oh yeah because i'll go ahead and admit i started playing Bureau 13 about a year before the X Files came out. Ah, so, okay. Yeah. Are you saying you play you played the X Files in Bureau Thirteen? Agents Mulder and Scully certainly made an appearance in my campaign. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, there's actually figures for them produced by TriTech. They oh, were yeah. Scolder and Scolder and yeah, Molly. I remember that. But yeah. Oh no! As I was breaking down one of Rich's TriTech stands, I'm looking. I just look at. Look at him. Really? <laughs> he goes, what? They're good. I'm like, really rich? <laughs> All right. Well, Jonathan, give us an example. Well, I've already given you one small one, but a little bit bigger one uh, from about that same time frame or a little bit later. Um, Men in Black. Um, I freely admit that the neuralizers from the Men in Black definitely made an appearance in my campaign, although not quite the same way it was in, in the movie. They wouldn't erase your memory. They would just stun you and leave you standing there, slight drool coming down your your face, while someone else would inject you with the amnesia drug or use hypnosis to to alter your memories of the events you just saw. Okay. But yeah, as soon as that movie had come out, I went, "That is that's such a cute idea. I think I think my players will have fun with that." But because they had also seen the movie, I, I made sure that they didn't get to abuse it as much as they sure they would have. So the. So you, uh, I'm saying that you actually like did they go into like the were they just the Men in Black showing up or was it just the Neuralizer? No, the Neuralizer up? was something. It was it was the, the Neuralizer was this new uh, invention out of Ray Roberts' 
oh, lab. Okay, so you weren't like saying there's this whole galactic culture of visitors coming to Earth, which would have been a violation of the canon that, uh, well, at least not not recently because that's gone. But mm-hmm. I mean that that Earth was kind of isolated, and we were only being uh, approached by slavers and and uh, people snatching people, and 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 adding this whole new thing into it would have really done a real you know uh mosh pit worth of uh of of black agencies <laughs> so you didn't go full blown in it you just simply brought in some of the gear right, right? exactly okay and sort of that idea that also the, i think the idea that the the bureau received some of its funding from patenting old alien tech like velcro and oh yeah that was another <laughs> idea yeah. yeah velcro yeah that was a gift <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, I certainly a number of NPCs in my games have uh, have come from other sources. Uh, one was actually very meta. Uh, for a long time, long uh, in my campaigns, every adventure had a character by the name of Sinclair. I would just, I would, I don't want to use the word dovetail. I would force that in there some way. There could be some guy at the end of the pier. It could be the the main character they were talking to. Sooner or later, the players started saying, there's an awful lot of Sinclairs in this campaign. (laughs) (laughs) Because I just thought the name Upton Sinclair, you know, who wrote uh, Ricky Ticky Tavi and uh, the Jungle Book, I always thought that was a cool name. So I always like to put, you know... uh, Wait, 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 wait. I thought Rudyard Kipling wrote those. You're right. Upton Sinclair wrote other things. Yeah, I was going to say, wait a minute. Anyways... But it's been so long since I read those books, now I don't remember what they are. But anyways, no. the point is still is that I always thought the Sinclair was a cool name. And, of course, you know, uh, with Babylon 5 and the original commander of the Babylon yeah. uh, uh, 5 station was Sinclair. So, uh, yeah, it was all fun. Uh, and I used to do that a lot. Uh, the uh, it's, it's, you know, it, it's pretty easy just to lift um, a character from an episode of any of the shows that you watched and, and put it in. I had a tendency because I'm not a female to do that with female characters. So uh, I tried to stay away from uh, the uh, really obvious characters like um, uh, uh, Officer Sun from uh, Farscape. Mm. <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I would say that uh, Station Commander or Second in Command Kira from Deep Space Nine has appeared as a spunky uh, uh, young person more, uh, more than once in my Bureau 13 campaigns and such. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, and I'm trying to think of where uh, in Fringeworthy I brought in this one girl that was. Uh, uh, she was supposed to be this wastelander type, but she was really good with tech and stuff. And I'm pretty sure that I lifted her pretty much in, you know, characters and things like that en masse from uh, Veronica, uh, who was a character in Fallout New Vegas, who was a uh, daughter of people from the Brotherhood of Steel. Oh, yeah. And was voiced by Fel- Felicia uh, Day. Yeah. Uh, Day. So uh, she and. And uh, unfortunately, the, uh, the the character that she was trying to get close to was um, was a player who just did not like doing that at all. So <laughs> it was kind of hard, to, you know, to, for her to really show her her wings and all. But uh, she ended up uh, basically uh, becoming, in a way, 
uh, I don't know she, she if she shows up again in the game, she's going to be like you know kind of an enemy because she was her her heart was spurned so hard. <laughs> <laughs> so I like cre- I like bringing in characters and letting the and, and letting them get abused by the player characters and then turning around and just just bringing all kinds of grief against the player characters because of of the way they treated them because it's the only way you know to do that because most of the time in most of these games you just blow in you do the thing you blow back out again and you don't have long term characters to in any way bounce back against the PCs who are metagaming like crazy the entire time because, well, that's what my players are like. They're not very, what you'd call immersive players. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. So uh, now you guys may have other other had better luck with that sort of thing, but a lot of times I, use, I would use characters with very strong personalities for the main reason of just getting a rise, a role-playing rise out of the, piece, out of the PCs. Oh, yeah. Um... I'm using one in my my Thursday superhero game that is wrapping up, and it it's that type of it, at this point it's a cosmic level superhero campaign where they're dealing with alien cultures outside the solar system, other dimensions. Uh, one of the characters is a mage from Faerun who's dealt with like Orcus and had a little bit of godhood in him for a bit, and so these characters I decided and this book series I've always loved. The um, Riverworld series by Philip Jose Farmer, they tried to do two movies on sci-fi, like 2001 and 2010, and I got all my information from the old GURPS Riverworld game, and originally I had them in a Heroes campaign ages ago as an NPC, or um, a hero system. So I decided, like, okay, I need somebody big, bad, high-tech, just to mess with the characters. So I got out that old GURPS Riverworld, which, I mean, the it book fell apart. It's it's three-hole punch in a gray binder. And so I whipped up the, the alien character, Monat Grautut, the operator, the guy who made the Dark Tower on the Riverworld, and I put it at the North Pole of Mars with high enough technology where nobody's in the system can find it. And he's not necessarily an ally, but he's certainly not an enemy because he has the... the you know, technology to capture a soul and just regenerate somebody through EM conversion. He came to Earth some, you know, and I mean, if you look at him closely enough, you knew he was an alien. And he's walking through a slum and this, you know, guy comes up, yeah, I'm going to take this and that. And then he just takes the staff that he has and just takes his head right off right there in an alley and then resurrects him later. So I'm playing this character from the Riverworld series as just somebody who life and death mean nothing because I can resurrect you. My equipment captures any and all souls within the entire solar system. I can resurrect you back at my tower, and you're alive and whole. Granted, you work for me now. If not, you're dead again. So this cavalier, you know, this godlike tech and this cavalier attitude toward life and death and killing and all this, even though he's a pacifist, it's like, yeah, you're going to be back at my base in, you know, whenever I flip a switch. He doesn't like to fight, but he was defending himself. The guy had a gun on him. And so I played this character, and the the, char- the player that plays the mage from Faerun, great guy, I, he only comes in and Skype, he lives maybe 45 minutes from me, I'd like to finally meet this guy, his name's Will. And he plays Zen Falconin just as a chaotic neutral jerk, with near 
godlike power because he's uh, I think he's just shy of 20th level. Incredible tactician. So I'm just back and forth role playing with him about, well, these are souls that you're capturing. You're disrupting the natural force of life. And so we had this wonderful role playing moment where my friend Carrie and Jeff DeRef, they just had, they, they kind of took a backseat because Will and I were just back and forth with this. And it's very rare that I get to play the character. But as I said, I did it once in an old hero system campaign and I have them now in this campaign. And I'm actually thinking of making a multiplanar that his Dark Tower has portals to other game dimensions to bring him into other games, and he's capturing souls to put them on a new river world later on. And he, he's sort of a high-tech patron, even though the characters are already high-tech. But the tech that they have, yeah, it's high, but you have a guy who can you know, capture souls and recreate your body with the flip of a switch or a voice command. So there's... It's kind of an apples and oranges thing with the characters. Like, yeah, we have our guy who is high tech, but we have this guy who can do this. And just, it gives me the chance to play someone very haughty. And I know there are listeners right now, like, for going, you playing somebody haughty and making it sound like it's rare. But <laughs> just the character, the, the book series and everything, it was a wonderful book series. I wish they could have done better with the TV shows on sci-fi back in the day. But yeah, Riverwood was one of the ones, and especially Monat, and his ethicals, and the one rogue one, Loga. This the stuff was written in the 60s, folks. It's not a spoiler alert. And just, I enjoyed bringing that whole mythology into my campaign and just playing this character that, yeah, he can help you, but his reasons are his own because he's been alive a millennia, or an eon now. He's been alive, you know, let's see, in the book, I think he started everything like 100,000 BC or something like that. So yeah, it's just, it you're playing a dragon without playing a dragon. You can still have that same haughty attitude, but it's not the typical dragon tropes. Right. And that's just one of the th- one of the things I've always liked about the character. So I decided to bring him back for this campaign, and I'm having fun with it. I think I might want to sit down and read that series again just to, you know, get refreshed again, get more immersed into it. I do recommend the Riverworld series by Philip Jose Farmer if you want to read it. You'll you'll find out why once you get into it. Um yeah, that was the, the the first one I had. I got a couple others here. Well, I see because if if we're talking about books, sort of the the one that really got me thinking about this whole idea was um, probably one of my favorite campaigns uh, was almost. Oh, I don't want to say it's a it's a rip off, but it was basically I took the um, uh, Sword of Shannara series and its prequel, the Night of the Word series by uh, okay. Terry Brooks. And I just basically said, okay, this is the Bureau 13 universe in the sense that, that, you know, the idea of there were, the elves were still around. They were just in hiding and we're not talking about Santa's elves. We're talking about standard, tall, pointy eared. Okay. Although if you've read the, if you've read the sort of scenario series, um, I decided, well, this isn't, you know, the apocalypse yet. So these elves still have some magic to them. They're not just pointy eared humans. And uh, I included the elf stones. Uh, I, I basically took a lot of the elements from the Sword of Shannara series um, and, and put them into my Bureau 13 campaign. And this was before it was quite common knowledge that uh, the Knight of the Word series was the same universe. So I, I, you know, inadvertently was also using elements of the Knight of the Word series as well because I also had a, you know, I like that series as well. So I had a a single character who was sort of a 
kind of ally of, of the Bureau 13 team who was carrying a black staff and would occasionally help them hunt down a demon and dispatch it. Okay. But the, the, the biggest use was when I, I, I had the characters, okay, they're going to go on a little time travel trip. So they went into the future, and it was pretty much Sword of Shannara at that point. They were in the, the universe of Sword of Shannara, post-apocalypse, well, magic's well, back in, in... Yeah, well, isn't the Sword of... And I've never read this, and I've only heard of the TV series a little bit. I think MTV mm-hmm. had it. Yeah. Wasn't it a high-tech world, and there was an apocalypse, and now magic's back, and like there are high-tech uh, artifacts and remnants off Pretty much. Somewhere. It was... I, um, okay. Because there was the the Night of the Words Word series, which takes place presumably in modern day, um, and then there was a uh, a series that linked and the, linked the the two series together, uh, Genesis of Shannara, where it's not as high tech as some people might think. It's there's some high tech stuff going on, but you could probably say it's like near future is when the apocalypse hits. Okay, like drone technology and robotic technology and AI technology has progressed. Okay, all right. But it's not Star Trek. Oh, no. But then, yeah, there's an apocalypse and magic returns to the world. But, yeah, I think the actual Sword of Shannara series mostly takes place in, like, the Pacific Northwest. Okay. Or, you know, around the Washington State area. You mentioned, you know, oh, yeah, it was a high-tech world and now it's post-apocalyptic and fantasy adventurers are dealing with it. Dragon Magazine 277 did a wonderful article on that type of thing where you your characters yeah they're all fantasy characters but it's because the ruins that they're going through are from our modern day so this D campaign would be the far future of and they even went as far as hey look the world of greyhawk a thousand years later a lot of techno magic oh yeah they have fighter planes that are fighting dragons and yeah they're like techno magic versions of f-16s so yeah, it just when you you told me about the sword of Shinar, I'm like, why does that sound familiar? And it's Dragon Magazine 277, and this is from years ago. It's probably from the 90s. And so yeah, but I I well they go D and D throughout the. I mean they have all oh, you know steampunk and this and modern day and future, and then they go into like oh you have these weird sconces on the wall. And there's no flame, and there's bits of glass coming out the top. Yeah, it's a busted light bulb because you're in an old subway station. You know, that type of stuff. So, yeah, it just, <laughs> once I realized, you know, I heard of what the Sword of Shannara series was, like, wait a minute, it's like that old Dragon magazine. What the hell issue is that again? So I had to look it up, you know. Oh, yeah. But it is an interesting way to throw D&D characters into, and they oh, you're going through old ruins, and you're actually going through, like, a subway station or a military base or... Because I mean that idea in and of itself is you know fantasy world in the far you know far future isn't isn't particularly brand new. Uh, I think what Terry Brooks did was he had it be a little bit more recent. Yeah. As in the apocalypse only happened maybe a thousand years ago instead of ten thousand years ago. Yeah. You can still find signs that say Seattle this way. Yeah. Oh no, there is a um a okay. You remember the old cartoon in the nineties, the Flintstones meet the Jetsons. Oh, yeah. Where Elroy supposedly made the time machine, and he went, oh, yeah, we're going to go back or forward in time, and they, oh, back in time, and meet the Flintstones, and Fred, you know, George and Jane and Elroy and Judy meet, you know, Fred and Wilma and Barney and Betty and all. There is a supposition that actually, because remember, the Jetsons were all up high above in the cities, and never saw the ground, you know, as they're zipping along in their cars, 
anyways, um, there was a supposition, and I forget where I read this, but no, Elroy did take him to the future. Something happened on the ground, and why do you think you had all these creatures performing the functions like, oh, the elephant's the vacuum cleaner, and the bird's beak is the needle on the record player, because they were mimicking... And they can all speak... Yeah, they spoke... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because I've, it was... I've seen that. Uh, there's... This whole supposition, okay, good, you have seen it, okay, yeah. And I'm... The post-apocalypse of the Jetsons. Yeah, yeah. and I read this, I mean, like, maybe last year, and I'm like, you know, and I'm sitting there stroking my beard, it just might be crazy enough to work. You know, just, it hit me, I'm like, oh my god, I haven't seen this program in like 30 years. (laughs) Yeah, I've seen, I've heard of that one, I've also, one that makes me a, a little bit more tingly than that one is the idea that... Elroy hasn't built a time machine at all. He's built a teleporter, okay, and they're just teleporting down thing. the ground. Yeah, that just there's, a, there's <laughs> like, this... that, that they're they're not in different times. They're different classes of well, people. Yeah, it's like just the, you, you know, have the, the the Eloy and the, yeah, and the Morlocks. Kinda, yeah. Ooh, wow, really? Okay, wow. <laughs> you went there with it. It just yeah. It, I went yeah. there with it, and, and you moved the hand forward. No, you went there. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I yeah yeah um. Let's see, another one I've used, and of course, you all know I've done Robotech, Star Wars, Star Trek. I've done all those campaigns. And, I mean, I've talked about them enough on previous episodes. Y'all can go back and, I mean, I've run a Star Wars campaign. I'm about to run my second Star Trek, because Star Trek Kelvin is there in, in the, on the portals. You know, Rich put that Riverside, Iowa, in the Starport. And I'm, and it's Star Trek Kelvin, folks. It, but yeah, of course, Robotech, you all know I've done episodes and episodes here on this podcast about me doing that. But um, something else that I did, and it was a movie, and I did it for actually the playtesting for the Bureau 13 OGL. Um, it took me three months to plan this campaign. It was a plot based loosely on the Mummy Returns with Brendan Fraser and Rachel Weisz and John Hanna. Oh, yeah. yeah. Instead of a bracelet, it was a TRN. It was on the one woman's... I think it was on our resident... And it was Team Shifter, because they bounced it between dimensions. The resident park ranger turned Neil Pagan Druid. And so she, you know, was subjected to these these visions. And I also used another book with it, and it's pretty much now canon in my Bureau 13 campaign. Um, in 2005, a book was published by a Brazilian nuclear physicist named Professor Aricio, Aricio do Nunez Santos, and it was called Atlantis, the Lost Continent Finally Found. Basically, this man, yeah, he was a nuclear physicist. I mean, he his curriculum vitae is not to be belittled. I mean, this is the guy that originally came up with credit card encryption. I mean, this guy was multidisciplinary. Oh, no. Aricio Santos, look him up. Oh, no, this guy was busy right up until he passed away shortly after this book came out. But basically, using like 15 different disciplines, history, geology, geography, um, linguistics, mysticism of various cultures, and other and other scientists are starting to come around his way, that what we know as Atlantis is actually on the island of Kalimtan, what we know today as Borneo. The geography matches in everything. So basically, Atlantis is in the Java Sea. So I had this tiara on Rowan, the the park ranger turned neo-pagan druid, taking the team around the world, and they finally get to the final place that if the bad guy gets in there, 
know, end game. Team loses. Oh no, he if he gets in there, he'll you know lose you know lose the game and all this. And with three words, ended three months of my work. I cast Hallow. Now, if you know the OGL spell Hallow, <laughs> you can also add another spell to it. Or no, what it was, it was um yeah, the villain had the tiara on it. Um, another NPC that I bounced around campaigns, uh, an African woman named Angela Mbutu. And so she had the tear. That's right. This is that long ago. I forgot. So because of the hallow and I think the dimensional anchor or protection from evil or whatever, she could not get into this room. And, oh, the clock is ticking. And, you know, it's the thing. If you don't get the bracelet off before the next sunrise, you know, you die. So. They got to watch, and I'm sitting there flipping through books, trying to find some hack to get past Carrie's suggestion. And after a while, I'm just saying, okay, you stand there, all of you, and you just, with your arms crossed, smiling, and you just, you just watch her disintegrate, and the tiara, the tiara falls on the floor. <laughs> like, ting, 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 and rolls there for a second in the ashes of the, of the woman. So yeah, I, I, the, the Mummy Returns, yeah, they, I didn't rub off quite enough serial numbers because wait, they're like, wait a minute, I'm like, oh, shut up, just go, just go with it. But the the Atlantis Lost Continent finally found that's standard in my Bureau Thirteen campaign, where in my campaign Atlantis is in the Java seat, and so I've used this book for other little tangents that have to do with Atlantis in my game, like Atlantean is actually the old language Dravidian from which Sanskrit came from. And there's videos out there that describe the links between Greek and um, Indon- excuse me, Indonesian mythology, like, oh, they have a guy for Hercules in this, and they got a, you know, a god for Zeus, and they're the same. And, and as I said, Santos sadly passed away a few months after his book came out in 05. His business partner, Frank Hoff, and Dr. Santos's son have perpetuated promoting the book and exploring a little more and 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 I found out other other uh, other scientists have actually starting to follow they're getting away from the uh the Plato model and they're starting to realize that yeah, maybe Santos was right and so I'm seeing more and more information about other people getting on Santos's bandwagon uh his site is atlant.org and get the book it's it's a heck of a read and in your Bureau 13 game, it might work out. You might use it in a fringe-worthy game, saying, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, this is Atlantis, wait a minute, we're, we're in Indonesia, though, wait a minute. So, yeah, that was another one that I used, was that particular book, and because I could link all the other religions to it, like you would see facets of the Greeks and the Rome, or the, the, the Norse and the Egyptian whenever I bring this up, because supposedly the civilization spread out, and, you know, they had all their different things afterwards, so Oh yeah, uh, Bruce. Did you have anything? Sure. Uh, anything um, that you right. Like well, to use? you know, way way back, you know, in, in the in the days that I ran a bulletin board. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, we're talking. I mean, people would call with their modems would call into uh, uh, my bulletin board, and uh, I started this. I, I started originally as an as an email list question, which was. Um, Let's say uh, you suddenly got a message on your computer, and you knew that it was real. And the message was, in 30 minutes' time, the Earth is going to be destroyed. But in 15 minutes' time, 
in a location near to you, I will open a portal to a world of relative safety. You have the intervening time period to gather yourself such items as you think might be useful to you in your new life. And it was like, okay, let's see your list of stuff that you're going to take. And uh, of course, there was always that one person saying, "Oh well, I'm you know I, I'm uh, you know I, 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 back before there were people that did this. You know I, I'm a prepper, and and of course I have everything already ready, and I'm just going to fill up five tons of stuff into my car and drive to the portal or whatever, you know." And then we had the other guy who said, well, anybody who's able to open an interdimensional portal to another world can certainly take care of me once I get there. So I'm not going to take anything except, you know, maybe some, I'm going to be downloading my music so that I have my music with me. Okay. You get that one and then, guy, I got to have my jams, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but he didn't care about anything else. He was sure that somebody was going to take care of it. Okay, you know, and, and of course, you know, uh, you knew that as soon as they get on the other side and there wasn't that to be like, I wish to speak to the manager. <laughs> Care in the but, early uh, days, yeah. Yeah, was, these were all guys uh, in those days, but yes. Um, and then there was the, the third one, which was, you know, which kind of warmed my heart. Because he said, oh, well, I'm going to get in my car and I'm going to drive as fast as I have to to get my girlfriend from her job and take her with me. And I was like, dude, that's so romantic. Nobody, <laughs> nobody else even suggested taking anybody else. Not a sibling, not a parent, not even a pet. They were all like, oh, I got this gun. My grandfather's got all this stuff and, you know, stored away in the in the Dutch doors upstairs. And I'm going to grab all that stuff and, and, and take all this, all the stainless steel silverware the and, and the and the herb chest because you know how valuable things like uh, spices were in the Middle Ages and all this stuff. And I was like, he was the only one who actually thought about bringing somebody important to him along on a trip. So I was amazed. All right, so the uh, so I did that, okay, and then um, and, and they're all like, okay, we went to the portal. What do we see? And, the, <laughs> and you know, and I was trying, and I, I I tried to make stuff up and stuff like that because it really was just supposed to be a thought experiment. I wasn't actually trying to start an online campaign, you know, more or less email and uh, a play by email game, but. Later on, years later, I decided uh, to do that in Bureau 13. So, um, and so when I went through, and so I, I said, okay, there's this rift in, in the sky, and only the Bureau knows about it, you know, except for a few sad people that, you know, planes flew through or destroyed things and they went crashing down. But they know where the rift is and they're going to send you guys to try to find out what's causing the rift and close it up or whatever like that. And so they go through and they find themselves essentially in Barsoom. Ooh. And was really rubbing the rubbing the stuff off on that one. Yeah. Because uh they, you know, the, everything was covered with a like a yellowish moss. They had all these uh, raves that did various things. They had airships, but they were being attacked by this very powerful alien force that had that had essentially uh, uh, was was somehow uh, focusing the rays of the sun into death rays and just burning down everything in sight, uh, and. Yeah, you know, and they destroyed all the most of the major civilization that that was on the planet. 
Okay. And uh, uh, so the first thing he had to do, of course, was survive these random killing attacks, these burning columns of fire out of the sky. And then they had to uh, survive being attacked by people who thought they were the aliens. Ah. <laughs> they were doing this, you know. And then they finally got to the point where they actually got to talk to people and convince them that they were actually came through a rift in space and all this stuff. And, uh, and as it turned out, the aliens were the the alien vampires from Life Force. Ah. If you've ever seen that movie, who basically suck life force from people, uh, and then they and that turns them into like these zombies that then go and kill other people, and then they suck their life, and then and they all send it up to into space to feed them. Okay, they were up in orbit, and uh, from the and they basically their their giant. Miles long asteroid that they lived in. They, they they traveled it. I should say they traveled it from star system to star system, um, and they pulled up in this star system. And they had taken over this, uh, you know, the 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 like the one uh, space station that was up there. And anyways, the point was is that I I took Barsoon and I crossed it with with uh, uh, life force with life force and. You know, and, and and threw in some of my you know uh, my ideas from that that uh, email campaign from long ago, and turned it in and and basically you know had this uh, long campaign. They finally, uh, I could tell they were getting bored with it because they they weren't they weren't good enough players to be able to figure out how to defeat them on their own. So they basically just flew up into space. Uh, uh, found uh, essentially a uh, uh, well. Okay, I brought it in something else. Uh, you, I'm assuming you've all uh, either read the book or seen the movie, uh, 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 Starship Troopers. Yeah. Oh yeah. And you know that the big the the big spoiler in the in the in the movie is that it turns out the bugs have a control bug that basically controls all the lesser. Um, uh, warrior bugs, and if you can control that bug, then you basically they'll they'll leave you alone. So they basically came in, they found this this the queen, you know, which was basically like this gigantic thing that was attached inside the space station, and they killed her, and all the uh, uh, all the aliens just basically just kind of started floating belly up in space, but with no control, no no nothing motivated them and stuff. And at which point they said, we win. Okay, let's leave. <laughs> they went, and they left. They left them to say, you guys can handle it from here. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and I'm trying to remember how, how they closed up the rift. They did something to close up the rift. I think they, uh, w once they weren't trying to survive, the, they, the, the big brains uh, on Barsoon were able to come up with some combination of rays that would actually heal space and eliminate the rift. And so they said, you go through and we'll seal it up behind you. And when he when he went back, they found out that they had just gone through, that it was like, you know, it was really super fast. You know, in on their side, which is why they never would have gotten any help from uh, Bureau Thirteen, because as far as Bureau Thirteen was concerned, they'd just gone through. So, yeah, the whole thing—the whole thing which took months—was uh, only like ten minutes long. So, and uh, so that was that was an exciting uh, mission for them, and they, uh, and, and I really, like I said, I really pulled 
all kinds of stuff together for that, you know, because... Now I, now I want to watch John Carter again, just, yeah. <laughs> <sighs> well, you know, because they what they don't do in that sh- that movie, and I always thought was, what's the whole thing with the rays, okay? Because I basically said there are various rays. There's rays of destruction. There's rays, what I call rays of accretion, which basically create matter, okay? There are, uh, there are rays that... Uh, that when you fire at something, it basically uh, gives uh, velocity, uh, you know, mass, you know, inertia in a, in a particular direction. So it's like a presser. It's not just a pressure beam or a, a tractor beam. You can send something in any direction you want to. And it was the prime motivator for their sp- their their spaceships. You know, okay. they would just simply. You know, they had this uh, these beam projectors uh, in, uh, in in a basically a sphere in the in the center of the ship, and they had and they had this big solid ball that was connected to the ship you know, with stanchions, and they would just fire at that, and basically the 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 ball would therefore go in one direction or go in another direction and drag the ship with it, essentially. And uh, and and their control thing was all about which rays to fire and how to. Uh, how to change the vector on the uh, uh, on the, the the rays of motivation, and there were like a total of uh, there was a, a ray of um, uh, was it uh, vivarium or something like that, which was life giving ray. So you could use that to keep alive uh, or heal people that were injured. Um, and and by using all these things, where I was able to basically create a technology for the entire world based just purely upon these these principles and how these rays worked. So of course they were you know uh, they they didn't uh, and I think I think uh, the way I did it was I I, I said well they used lenses from nuclear power you know <laughs> nuclear um, like radium nuclear breakdown. And it and and as it goes to these lenses, it splits off into these various rays depending upon how the lenses are made to produce these various things. So you got you got the radium the radium blasters that fired the rays of the rays of burning, you know, and, and other things like that. So I tried to keep it as you know as as uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs, John Carterish as I could. You know, it, especially with you know with the green skins and the red skins and stuff like that, and some of the players had actually read these things, and so they were like rolling their eyes from time to time. <laughs> but it didn't keep them from having a good time. They still had to think their way through, and a lot of them had only seen things like you know the 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 pup the popular media version, essentially the John Carter versions, and they didn't ever had never read the source material. So they didn't. They didn't really know what a lot of this stuff was, like the yellow, uh, the yellow moss that supposedly covered the entire planet, and why. Well, they, they well they said that the, the 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 movie that came out, you know, like five six years ago, that sadly it critically bombed. That was a combination of the first four Barsoom books. Yeah, they just sort of threw them all together. Yeah, so it kind of. You know, they kind of picked and chose things from the various books to make this pastiche called that we know as John Carter. Yeah. Right. Um, oh no, there's a few OGL supplements. I've been thinking, you know, one of the many campaign ideas. I've wanted to run a Barsoom Mars campaign like that. Uh-huh. And I think they're. I think they, they the same one that made um, it's just called Mars. Uh, Bruce, I think there's also a Savage Worlds version. I would be surprised. 
Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's a cynic. rich material source if you actually go in and read it and not be and not oh, be yeah. critical of it in the sense of saying, oh, well, you know, we know things you know, about Mars and this can't possibly happen. If you just, you know. Well, yeah, that, yeah, that, that was the thing about, about the campaign and also the, because you know it's all pulp. So you got the pulp stereotypes you got to deal with. And sure. Just, yeah, that, that's why a lot of pulp doesn't work in Hollywood today unless it's got Indiana Jones in it. Look at every other pulp movie that's come out. They've all bombed. Well, except the pulp. mummy. Okay, yeah, yeah, the universal, yeah, the aforementioned mummy returns and the mummy. Yeah, the third one we don't discuss. Well, I'm talking about Brendan Fraser's mummy. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. The third movie we don't we don't talk. Are you about sure, you're not movie. talking about the fourth that's one with the dragon. Yep. Are you? You're, you're talking. Leg, you're talking about I, the I, first one where the, uh, the 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 main female character wasn't in the movie, right? There were. There's the mummy. The mummy returns, and then the mummy was a tomb of the dragon emperor, and it had Jet Li and Michelle Yeoh. And I'm just watching this going, no, you know, just okay. Yeah, those. Yeah, three. that's the one yeah. I'm talking about too. But I thought there were four. Okay. No, 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 because the third one didn't do all that well. Oh, well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not surprising. That's why, why we don't talk about that one. Yeah. I mean, you have a you have a show where you have tremendous chemistry between the leads and you decide we're going to produce this movie this year no matter what even though she's not available. Yeah, uh, and they even lampshade it where he says, "You know, it's like I'm a totally different woman." <laughs> yeah, mm. you know that was funny on the Fresh Prince, not so much in that third Mummy movie. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, I I noticed that you two tend to pull well, except for the whole River World thing. You two tend to pull more just bits and pieces. Yeah, I'll take I'll take the majority of a whole world and just sort of graft it to my campaign. Uh-huh. I I I know I notice that between us. I don't know if it's just how I'm wired or what, but well, like, like I mentioned, I, I I really take pride in trying to be as original as possible. So oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I have I have to make it mine before I you know before I, I can live with it. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I, I get that entirely, but I'm just noticing that you two take bits and pieces. Me, I'm ripping off like sixty percent of the chicken just. Slam it up against the side of my campaign and hope it sticks there. You know. Yeah. Well, I haven't. Well, that, that happens I haven't too. mentioned one. Uh, one. Uh, one uh, specific adventure I run. I used to run at conventions. I ran this adventure for years. Um, I can't use its um, of the name I gave it, but I have to give it, the the name I ran it at, at under conventions was Triassic Park. Ah. <laughs> uh, and it was pretty much in Bureau Thirteen, and it was. I I basically explained it as this is the reason the movie came out because the bureau had to cover up an incident. Ah, yes, the disinformation <laughs> department. Yes, good call. I right. like that. But yeah, it was pretty much the entire camp, the entire adventure because it was made to be short. It was you know four hour you know sl- convention slot. It was made to be yeah. You go in and you get eaten by dinosaurs. Wow. <laughs> and if I needed help, I had a. One of my friends, uh, who would also be a player, quote unquote, who would, you know, be suddenly possessed by a demon and kill the other players. Or at least strive to kill them. So I actually had players who come out of survive. There actually was a reason. The reason was that this, basically, um, the storyline was, because I didn't completely rip off Jurassic Park, but the storyline was that there was a, basically there was a, um, a John Hammond type character who 
was really into dinosaurs. He was also really into de- demons. And the way he got his dino DNA was he summoned a demon and made a pact and got some demonic dinosaur oh, DNA. No. Demonic dinosaur DNA. That's too much alliteration, mm-hmm. John. I'm going to have to smack you for that. <laughs> that's also a cover band. I'll get back to you all later on what that's I like, like that band. name. And I know Fur right now is going, you just didn't go there. Yeah, I did, dear. Anyways. <laughs> and so instead of, and, and the basic premise being that the Bureau finds out somebody's building a park with living dinosaurs, they immediately send somebody in to check it out. If it's legit, if oh, it's, yeah. if it's, by standard, normal scientific methods, the Bureau might not get involved. It might just let it happen. But, of course, this agent that they get sent in finds out, oh, no, this is, this is not normal. This is, this is not normal. And he's getting ready to leave the island to report when he gets caught and he gets brainwashed. So there's already an agent on island when the player characters arrive. They just don't know they're an agent. Well, they, they know there is someone there. They know no, there I is mean, an agent. I mean, you said that someone got caught and brainwashed, so there's an agent on the island who doesn't know that they're an agent, right? They do. That's the thing. They actually do know. Um, they've just been completely uh, turned over. They will still, the, the way we ran it was, they will still help the incoming agents. They will still act as they would in this situation. You know, their comm unit broke down. They couldn't get off the island. I'm glad you guys are here. I'm stuck in this building. Come get me. I, I'm, I'm ready to get out and, and debrief. But unfortunately, after he, I think it depended on the, the, the kind of players we were playing up against, if they were kind of experienced or if they were uh, a little bit more new, we gave, we gave them a certain amount of, you know, outs, a certain amount of times that the agent would remotely save their lives, so to speak, by opening a gate at just the right time or locking these dinosaurs behind this gate at a certain time. They get three to, you know, three to five outs, and then he would turn on them. And then they suddenly had to fight not just the dinosaurs, but this brainwashed Bureau 13 agent, who luckily didn't have any Bureau equipment on him. It was just him. He was an undercover agent, so he didn't have anything other than the park itself. Just that, <laughs> just that ear implant, right? Uh, yeah. Well, I actually don't even think he had that. I think he had to use uh, the communicator watch. Okay. I think he, com- he went in completely like naked, so to speak, and just that's why he wasn't able to get out. <laughs> okay. All right. We'll talk more, probably about more things. We'll undoubtedly, as you continue to listen to this podcast, we'll undoubtedly be talking about more things we've used because it's, what, been 10, 11 years now? Season 12 starts next month, yes. Season 12, yeah. So you can find lots. I mean, there's been whole episodes based off of using Harry Potter and Fringeworthy or using uh, D&D, as we mentioned, and Fringeworthy. So... Don't be afraid to use any property you you find a love for. Uh, but we'll talk more about that and other properties in the future. But until then, you'll have to wait until next week. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there. So go explore them. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Gaming on the Frontier podcast is wholly owned by its hosts. It is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license no commercial reproduction and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast.
Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org colon 8027.